1: the only toll-free call-in webcast produced specifically for Celtics fans Celtic stuff back, live
0: Celtic stuff live everybody the Celtics have notched the season up at two apiece it's even. And, boy, did they have to fight for those two home wins. Very closely contested, but they pull away in both games. Nail biters, really, coming down to the end. But the hometown crowd giving them, well, giving this injured, banged up, depleted, what was once a deep team, now a little bit thin on the roster, giving them a lift. Now they go back to Atlanta for Game 5. And quite frankly, John, uh, when we last spoke right before you and I headed off for some some vacation, and I know we've watched the games closely, but I predicted this season, this series was going to be a chippy one. And ironically, I also said I thought that because of Bazemore, but Bazemore really hasn't been the chippiest, right? It's 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 don't call me Schroeder Schroeder that has really been one of the chippiest. And, uh, you know, Paul Millsap had a big game in, in Game 4, but for the most part, the Celtics have been keeping him down through the first three games. But but is this a lot more of a physical series than you expected it to be? Um, I Well, I... I, I
1: I think I would say chippy as opposed to physical because I think when you think physical, you usually think the big guys, right? You usually think they're throwing bodies around and, you know, it's it's Oakley and, you know, Anthony Mason and, you know, those kind of days. It's kind of this is maybe this is the new physical, you know, I maybe, don't, maybe, maybe that's a rat, you know, it's it's guards who are getting feisty and in each other's faces. It's it's guys like Baysmore. It's guys named Schroeder. Um, umlauts in there, uh, no, not really, I just, I wanted to say umlaut, uh, you know, there's, <laughs> <laughs> dude, I can't stand the fact that he calls himself shrewd, I, I know, there's just so much, he is a perfect villain, you know, like, I mean, he's really, he
0: does deserve to have the number 17 scrawled into his head, yeah. <laughs> For those... you know what I mean, like, that's making me nuts, I'm like, don't even steal my thunder, bro, a Long time just listener... dye that black, just well, they... get that gone,
1: Long-time listeners of the show get that one. I'm not sure the new the new folks do, but 17 holds a very near, not just banner 17, but holds is a very near and dear part of Justin Poulin's, uh life here. So, Celtics
0: numerology and my own personal philosophy, no doubt.
1: So you know, Schroeder is is really uh, not not really somebody who's uh, in your good graces right now. But going back to your question, uh, no, I, I I think I did not expect this to be that. I didn't expect it to be chippy, really. I thought, you know, it's playoffs, and by the time you get to, you know, Game 4, things are going to start to get heated. It's just natural, but I didn't think to this level. I didn't think we'd have, you know, flagrant foul after flagrant foul after flagrant foul in Game 3. I didn't think that we would have what now has become, you know, Schroeder is now one of the, the, the villains, you know, that the, this is going to kind of follow him around.
0: The uh, officials lost control of this series in Atlanta. Okay. 100% lost control. They, they're they not consistent with how they're calling the fouls on either side. Um, I did think in Game 4 of the Celtics, I mean, there were some... You look at Isaiah Thomas. I mean, he got pushed. There, there were some non-calls that were egregious. And then ticky-tack on the other side, which is fine if it's favoring the home team. I understand... <laughs> hometown officiating, but those calls have to go the Celtics way when they're playing in front of the hometown crowd. At the same time, I think anybody who knows anything about Boston fans, you know, whether it's Red Sox Nation or Patriots Nation or Celtics Nation, that we would love being the underdog. We would love seeing that kind of stuff go against us and then fighting back to win, but I think there would be a lot of complaining and a lot of digesting of non-calls had Either Game 3 or 4, not gone the Celtics way. And really, the officials have lost control of it. But even Isaiah Thomas lost control of himself. He's been on the edge in Game 3 and 4. And we are really lucky that we had a chance to see him play Game 4. And I think the biggest reason for that is his hand wasn't really close-fisted. And it didn't come in really fast and furious like a punch. But if it had... This series would be over.
1: Yeah, I, you know, look, I, I was on vacation. I didn't have the benefit of my my TV and you know the rewind and rewatch like everyone else did. So I, unfortunately, but I obviously I saw it in real time. Um, you're right. I think I think they were lucky. Um, I, I also think the NBA has gone too far or had gone too far over the last few years and taking, I, I taking physical plays, taking those sort of plays, and really trying to legislate it out in such a way that really it prevents the flow of the game i think and I, and i and i will say this admittedly because we we were able to see isaiah thomas play in game 4 i like the way i actually liked the way the game was generally officiated in game 3 i thought i thought they, there was physical play but it was it was it was contained within that game there were calls they went against the team they they, they paid a penalty for you know that rough play, and it never, even though there were flagrant fouls, it never really rose to a higher level. I thought my issue with the with the officiating in Game Three was really the stuff at the end. There were two straight plays where it was <laughs> it was clearly not a foul. It was a good defensive play, and they, and you know one was Jerebko standing like a statue, and I think it was Baysmore, might have been Cephalosha, goes around him, they call the foul. A couple of those instances. Other than that, I, I'm, I can put aside my beef with Game 3. Game 4 was a complete another matter. That Atrocity. Was, that was awful. That was awful. The NBA should be ashamed of themselves for the way that they conducted that game. That was, that was bad. You know, and, and yeah, we won, and okay, you know, but you're right. If, if that had gone down against the Celtics, I'd have been spending this next hour just railing against the officials. I, I would have be channeling the Scotsman uh and <laughs> going after the officiating. I just it was nuts. I and I, I there's there's no real uh a defense for it. It was awful. It was just awful play. Uh or awful calls. Um and you know, just thank goodness we got out of that with, without uh, too much of a of a uh, uh, without too, and no nothing against the Celtics going forward, but now okay, so you're gonna lose home court and you're going go to Atlanta if you're gonna get the same. No, it's over. Officials. It's
0: not even you don't even have to break oh. down the reasoning for it. Oh. you know Isaiah Thomas out for Game Four. That's a loss. I don't. Despite Marcus Smart's heroics, that's a yeah. loss. It's yeah. a given. Yeah. There's no way to space the floor at that point. Um, the Celtics did a nice job in that game. Uh, Right when they got down by 16 and were just hucking three-pointers, they righted that ship and started attacking the paint again, which I thought was probably one of the quicker adjustments of the season to getting back to doing those things. But just to the point about physical play, before we put a cap on that and the officiating, you made a point you thought the league had done Um, a horrible job in recent memory of sort of allowing people to play I was on Celtics beat with Larry Russell uh, Sunday and we probably spoke for about 25 minutes but two things that really came out as themes in our discussion one was that the league maybe has gone a little too far with that and that I'm in the same camp as you and Larry I like the aggressiveness What I mean by the officials getting letting it get out of hand is that they don't know where the line is. That's when it's out of hand. It's not that it's not. That we don't want to see some physical play. And even Isaiah Thomas, it was more of a push. It was just at the face, which is why I think he was taking a big risk. Had that been at that shoulder, it would have been 100%. Nobody would have even been worried about him getting suspended. But I'm okay with the physical play. I like the competitiveness. It's just once you draw a line, you have to be consistent with the line that you've drawn. And you really need to do it for the entire series, not game by game. And if you see it, and, and if you do need to tighten the ratchets a little bit, you know, you need to tighten it up a little bit because the the physical play has gotten out of hand and maybe there are, you know, punches being thrown or you fear that it's going to get out of control because you have been loose. Then you tighten it up, but you tighten it up with the flag, flagrance. Like you said in Game 3, and then you just hold that line. It's just quick flagrance, and that's it. Yep. You know, when, when Schroeder was on the floor and he pushed Jay Crowder, Maybe that becomes a flagrant if everybody's pushing each other all the time and you're thinking, hey, pretty soon this is going to come to blows. That's okay with me. But let them play physical. I'm all about it, even though the Celtics probably lose a physical battle against any other opponent in the post when it comes to the big man or the big men competitions. That's going to be trouble for the Celtics. But even in – hey, they have to learn to play above that. That's the way the game is. Um but you gotta draw the lines and then you gotta be consistent with the line. Um, the other thing I'll throw out there, and I wanted to get your take before we really, you know, dive into the play of Marcus Smart and we talk about, you know, lineup changes and Ryan Bernadone's prediction at the beginning, our last guest. Um who said he thought Jonas Derebko was going to be a big factor in this series. And lo and behold, we are going to get to those things as well. But the other thing that I talked about with Larry was injuries and how the the Celtics training staff, he's been all over the Celtics training staff for a long time, all the way back to, you know, trotting Kevin, limping Kevin Garnett out in January and February, many years ago. But here we saw Kelly Olenek come out in the game, you know, and he's got his shoulder taped up and, you know maybe this guy isn't ready i said to i said to larry if the celtics training staff can tell kelly olinick straight up that there's no risk of him aggravating and prolonging his ability to work out in the off season then it's really up to kelly can he take the pain and i'm all for it but if there's a long term consequence or something that prevents him from going into either a normal or no worse scenario for off season workouts then he should not be playing. What's your stance on that? And do you have criticism for the Celtics' training staff and how they sort of handle and prevent injuries? Because you and I called it right at the at the second to last show that we had before, as we were headed down the stretch. Maybe we should be resting some of these guys into the right. postseason,
1: right? And I and I think that there is a, a, a distinction there uh, before playoffs, after playoffs, right? So. Let's 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 go back. Since we we're, we're, this is old home week, going back into the Celtic stuff live archives. If we were playing shows from 2007 or 2000, no, 2006, 2006, no, 2007. Let's say, and we're talking about Al Jefferson, and do you and you probably remember this with Al Jefferson sprained ankle, yep. couldn't get I back on the court. Sprain. Remember talking about this? We were talking I about, do. It. It's the ankle sprain. Ainge is complaining because he's not fighting through it. Can't get back on the court. They do another image of it. Oh, by the way, we found out there's a bone spur there. No wonder he couldn't play through that. Okay. Fast forward, right? 2009. <laughs> Kevin Garnett. We don't know his knee. You know, he's, Doc says he's coming back. He's not coming back. What happens? Oh, bone spur the size of a microphone in his knee. Whoops. <laughs> that would slow you down. Okay. So things happen. But I think those are those are those are the things that are memorable, all right? And and there and there's hey, it happens, right? Science, uh, medicine isn't a science. Okay, well maybe it That's is. Ex- no, That's but... no, no, no.
0: It's exactly what I said to Larry. I said, <laughs> I said, it's so funny. I said medicine is a science, and you know, I have I have a healthcare background. I was a registered nurse for over twelve years, so. I can tell you for sure medicine is a science but it is not an exact science. It's not like plugging in equations in physics or math. Right. Or you know and even there's it's it's a lot closer to chemistry and the fudge factor that comes with creating all of these numbers to make the math work in chemistry. Science is a lot more like that. I mean medicine is a lot more like that type of science and even a little worse and you know you're limited to how you can observe a patient's body, and while technology does make advancements, you're right, things do happen, it's not always a black or white scenario, there's a whole lot of gray in medicine.
1: Well, and how many instances do we have? Those are two very notable instances, and, you know, they were both bone spurs that, you know, from anyone I've ever talked to who's in a medical field, and and you clarify this if I'm wrong, sometimes images are, you just don't see things. And sometimes, until you get in there and open somebody up, you're not going to know what you find. And that's what had really happened nearly in both those cases. Other than that, I think the Celtics training staff has had a really good uh, record of things. And if I think if, if the medical staff, if Dr. McKean and those guys say, guy can play, we have not seen guys get hurt, come back too early, and become, you know, really seriously hurt for the rest of their careers or something that's limit them further, so I trust them one to give them a, med- a, a clear medical clearance two you have this is the nBA playoffs this is there is a lot on the line, not just you know for this year but but beyond this is Kelly O'Linick could make himself a very rich man off of a strong playoff run um you know just look at some of these guys Jay Crowder just got a, a I know it's a. We all say it's a deal, but a big contract. It's going to set himself for life. He's looking at much bigger things, you know. So you look at these guys that are hurt, that are that are really, you know, on the shelf. Then we got Avery Bradley on that list. These guys have got to play, man. This is this is a time when you put all your cards on the table and you and you and you roll them out there. Now, if it's something that's seriously going to hurt someone going forward, and we it'd be interesting to see what happens with this Steph Curry situation situation. Oh man, I
0: was totally going there. Yeah. Wait, before we go to Steph Curry, let's finish the thought with the yeah. Celtics, because we have to talk I mean, we can talk about Jay Crowder and the high ankle sprain and how right. he's recovering and all of that. We'll yeah. we'll just we've talked about it. I think at this point it's just he can play through it and he needs to play through it and he is getting better game by game. I, and yes. I think for the most part his defense is held strong, but he hasn't found his rhythm on his shooting and he is starting to attack the basket, which is something he didn't do at the start of this series. Yeah that's why i know he's improving that's that's a great point and i was i was going to bring that up
1: because his he has last night was the first time i saw a glimmer of jay crowder i thought you know game 3 eh, you know a little bit game 1 he looked slower than molasses game 2 not a whole lot better i mean you know he's getting switched out on on, on teague and i mean frankly everyone's looking like uh, they're they're slow next to teague but i uh, last night was the first time he's really starting to kind of push Push in that direction of what he can do. And my sense is the longer this series goes, if we get to a game seven, and I think that's a real possibility at this point, I think that he will be Jay Crowder of at least a, a fairly high percentage. Maybe not peak Jay Crowder, but just shy of that. And so I, I think that, that that looms very well for these Celtics as they get the further they get on, the stronger this team is
0: going to get. Yeah, and we're going to go back to our other discussion about, you know, when we previewed this series about which game to win, because I I remember saying game one was the one they really needed to win, and... Yep. i and and they really had a chance at it and they didn't get it and you know so we have to we're going to table that one just to finish the injury thought because now we have to talk about Avery Bradley and then we do tie it in to Steph Curry because he left the game with a with a knee sprain and uh he just barely got back on the court in that series leaving the door open for Houston a little bit but 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 maybe not really but the door is a, a lot more open than it was it would have been a sweep let's talk about Avery Bradley do you think with the Hammy that Avery Bradley should even come back in this series, or, and this is, and I'm just gonna say this is my camp on this: they got to win this series against the Hawks without Bradley, and then they put him out against Cleveland if they win it with their best opportunity. Because I'm afraid that I think they can beat the Hawks without Bradley. We already know that there's. I'd really doubt that they can beat. Cleveland without Bradley I'm not even sure that they can beat Cleveland but we want to we want to you know I'm not even sure I mean of course nobody's sure that they can beat Cleveland but I'm not even sure they even have a chance but they have a better chance with Bradley and the other thing is our goal for them against Cleveland if they get there is to just put on a good show and take it deep not a sweep but get at least two wins under their belt, I think it's going to be hard for them, no matter how much healthier they're getting through the Atlanta Hawks series, no matter how much momentum they ride, I think it's going to be really hard for them to put a good show against Cleveland without Avery Bradley. And if they bring him back in this series against Atlanta, even a little bit prematurely, there's a really good chance he could re-aggravate that hamstring and then not be 100% or available at all for a series against Cleveland if, if they were able to steal. And make no mistake, they would have to steal Game 7 on the road against Atlanta to move on.
1: Right. Well, And that's, that's exactly where I was going to go. Because Game 7 in Atlanta, I think you put everything on the table you can. Because if you get to that next round, who knows what could happen. Um. You know, LeBron turns an ankle and that's that series changes in an instant. Um, So I, I think if if Avery Bradley can get a clearance to play in game seven, you play him. I don't think there's a question. I don't think there's any shadow of doubt. You give Brad Stevens as many tools as he needs to get a W in Atlanta and whatever that means, you do it. Because to me, that's that's the key right there. I want to see I want to see us get our very best against their very best. And you get on if you live to fight another day, and you win that game seven, everything you know this this team is is much you know much further along now. You know you you had said, and I I saw the 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 quote. I suppose that was tweeted out by 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 Nick. Um, you know, saying that if they don't win this series, it's it's a bit of a disappointment for the team. I agree. I I mean, I I obviously I agree with myself. Do you agree (laughs) with yourself? I
0: I agree with that. That is a very true statement. But do you not feel that way? Because I don't.
1: I I, I totally feel that way. and, And the reason why I don't is because, see, to me, injuries make a big difference. Like the 87 Celtics, I was disappointed that they didn't win the finals. But I also understand why, because Mikhail played on a broken foot. she had it, you know. Everyone, you know, everyone except Bird had some sort of malady that was significant or serious. Um, yeah. To me, I look at that and I say, well, geez, you know, what are you gonna do? I mean, <laughs> you know, it's just kind of like, well, you know, that's just what it is, you know. You, but you,
0: nobody it, cares about that in free agency, and I mean, I guess I can say. That if they get to game seven and they go into an overtime or they have um, a shot at the last second to be able to win the game, that maybe maybe that's a success. But but that's as close to having this season be uh, having this postseason. I already I did say in context in speaking with Larry on Celtics beat that I thought that the season was a success. And I do. I believe that the season was a success overall. Everything okay. they wanted to achieve from the season, okay. Isaiah was an all-star. Players improved. Jay Crowder made a name for himself. Probably deserved to be higher rated in most improved player voting. And the team improved on their record from last year. And guys like Adrian Wojnarowski are claiming that the Celtics are a dark horse for Durant. And we have all these picks. And you know, I, I think the season itself was a success. But to take the postseason and isolate it and say that it's a success when they lose in round one against Atlanta, I don't think so. Because if they lost in round one seven games against Cleveland, I'd say the postseason was a success. But I'd also say the season was not a success because that would have meant they were the eighth seed. But instead, they're playing the first round against Atlanta. So maybe maybe I'm a little bit softer if game seven is a heck of a battle and you know they've definitely had some things with uh, games two I mean games three and four to sort of swing that a little bit because of the way they played that those games and they've gritted them out and the injuries are a consideration but they're not going to be an excuse to a free agent and they're just not when somebody's looking at the performance, these guys got to be on a stage and I think a gritty win in game seven against Atlanta immediately, makes especially the way they fought through immediately makes the postseason a success even if they do get swept by swept by Cleveland but i think at that point they want to go to Cleveland hopefully healthier and make some noise but a, a, but that's that to me is the range of success i guess if they lost game 7 in a hotly contested battle and you know they show grit and toughness through the rest of this series that would be the lower end of the spectrum on success. But I really think they need to win the series. And then the higher end of the spectrum would be two and definitely three games against Cleveland uh, would be the higher end of considering the postseason success. And obviously if they somehow beat Cleveland, all all bets are off. You know, they're gonna own the they're gonna own free agency. That that everybody is gonna be talking about Boston if they if they were to beat Cleveland.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I think even if they get through Atlanta, it, they're they're in a different category too because I think that that's people people know that this Atlanta team's for you know it's for real that uh, they're a good team. Uh, they saw what they did last year. They know what they've got. They've got some real good good talent. Um, you know, yeah, I, I just I you know when I look at and I and when you put in that context of success in terms of the Celtics, uh, I think that you're right. You do have to. It is uh, understanding that context makes that makes that a, a lot more clear to me, and I agree. I think the season has been a success. I think going to the playoffs, you know. Getting one win, that's not really you know anything. Getting two wins, that's nice. Um, You know, before the injuries, you know, my thought is they gotta get to the second round. Gotta get to the second round. And of course, in the last two weeks, you know, pretty much everything that has gone wrong, except for these two wins, has Uh, basically everything since the 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 Warriors win, everything has gone wrong for the Celtics until these two wins in Boston. So now here we are. How we going? How do we now transition from uh, where we were, uh, a team you know basically um, on, on the precipice of, of pushing Cleveland or Toronto in round two, to now fighting for our lives and, and, and now with needing to win two of the next three, one of those games in or at least one of those games probably being in Atlanta. It's a tough it's a tough hill. They can do it. Well, they needed to
0: get game one, all right? And we, we'll, we'll still table Curry a little bit because I think we can wrap back to it yeah. as we talk about, you know, getting, you said, throw everything in game seven. But they really, there's only two ways to win a series, most likely, right? You take game one on the road, then you hold court at home, and you wait for game six to close it out. And the only other pattern that really makes any sense, because winning three in a row especially against such an even matchup. I mean, it's one thing like the way Cleveland just swept their way out of the first round. That's one thing. But with two evenly matched teams, matchups being what they are, uh, hotly contested battles, there's nobody's going to win three in a row. Not with the level no. of play, but going back. So it's two in a row and two in a row. So if you don't get game one, the only other scenario that makes any sense is you get your two at home, you lose another one on the road, and then you get game six and seven and remember even if they did get even if they do get game five in atlanta and i just don't see it happening i mean not that i think the celtics are going to have a letdown you know but i'm just saying you know the way that atlanta plays and the way that we know home home court officiating in the playoffs it just you know I, i gotta think strongly that game five goes to atlanta but if the celtics did win game five in atlanta we've seen it before come home for game 6, lose it, then go back to Atlanta and lose. The right. most likely scenario for a serious victory for the Celtics is they take game 3-4, they did that, and then they take game 6 and they win one on the road in game 7. Yeah. No, I think yeah, and I
1: if I remember right when we we were talking about that with with uh, with Ryan last week and you know, you were like you got you got to get game 1, you got to get game 1. And I'm like, "Well, I you know, I don't know." And I <laughs> So let's hope I'm right and you're wrong, <laughs> you know, because if well, that's
0: if that's the only option now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's right. That's, there is no other option. It's my way or the highway, guys. Uh, no, but yeah, you know they've they have. I fully believe they can win in game seven on the road. I believe they can win game I seven too. in Atlanta. I, I look. Let's let's look at let's take a thousand foot view of this series. Four games in. All right. I think. That you've had three really close games, one game that was a complete blowout. Now, you could, you could, I, I think these teams are closely matched. Everything we've seen from this this ser- season, not just this series, is that these teams are two good teams that are going to fight and scratch and claw for everything, and they're going to get... It's going to be a close game, no matter what. So don't you think that Game 2 becomes the outlier? Don't you think you look at that and say... Is that really evidence of what we've seen from this? You know, these teams? I, and I don't think that's the case. I think in Game 5, Game 6, and Game 7, we're going to see games that are a lot more like Games 1, 3, and or, and 4 than Game 2. I, I think there's a better chance of that, and I like our chances in a scratch-and-claw game. I don't know about you, but to me, that's that's what I, I'm going to see here in the, in the next three games. I and think they love I to think-
0: dig a <laughs> hole even in a series, and there's a lot of truth to what you... I mean, look at the way they started Games 1 and Game 2, right? right. They were in the hole. That's just, just how this team has operated. Um, it was nice at home to see them get up in both games, but then all of a sudden, in the third quarter of Game 4, they find themselves down 16 after coming flat out of the half. They have a knack for digging themselves <laughs> a huge trench that's five and a half feet deep, but not quite six feet, and then somehow their hand sticks up through the dirt and they crawl out like a zombie (laughs) and come back and take on the opponent. And it's like, what hit us? This is supernatural. This isn't even normal, and this is what this team does. So to your point, I I do like their chances in a game seven after getting down in the series, you know, uh, three to two, and then winning one at home, and then all of a sudden it's just they're the walking dead. You can't stop them. That's it. Yep. Definitely. That's it. But I still think they should have won Game 1. It was the one to take, and the reason I say that is you kind of want to give yourself a gimme at home, and they almost really needed that gimme. So this is the other scenario. This is how it's going to play out, folks. I guess you and I, John, are just going to go ahead and and make our prediction that it's a Game 7 victory, which will be awesome for me because that game is Saturday, and I'm hosting the CLNS Radio Post Game Show with uh, founder CLNS... Radio founder, um, Nick Gelso. So I'm, I'm excited to just have an off-the-hook, explosive, excited, and preparing for round two against Cleveland. That's I'm just going to go ahead. Uh, let's point our finger to the fences. I did not like the Celtics' chances in the series, but I, I think you're right. I think momentum's starting to head their way, and I think they can win game seven on the road, and I think it'll just be awesome 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 post game show and hey you know we like to have fun doing it so why why not go to game seven let's call a victory and then if i'm wrong then everybody can kick my butt in the post game show i think i think that's a that's a sound plan everyone
1: so make the
0: target on my back (laughs) either way either way all right so let's talk about let's let's close out the conversation about injuries let's tie it to avery bradley but let's go to the golden state warriors who just had a record-setting 73 win season and ultimately it may have cost them their superstar and a back-to-back championship run because here was curry he sat a few games he comes back in and not too many minutes of playing time into this game he goes back out and he's really questionable moving forward in terms of his ability to play what's your take on that john well, what lessons can the Celtics learn?
1: Well, I think that the lesson there is uh, you've got to play your best. Um, you know, Houston kind of won a, a squeaker in Game Three, uh, and you know, I think I think probably what the, the Warriors were thinking is that well, you know, hey, we got to we got to get you know get back on track, try to wrap this up, get some rest you know Curry's hurt but if we can get a you know a couple quick wins we can end this series quickly and we can you know get you know kind of get get ready for the next series the Spurs just swept their series so there might have been a bit of urgency on on Golden State's part. That probably was miss a, mis- <laughs> a bad idea. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I think it was a bad idea because uh you know you're, now you're looking at a situation where now you're gonna, you're definitely going to a game 6 against Houston and who knows with Curry. Now, the thing with injuries though is there is such a freak nature to it, you know. And you know, you, you play your best players. That's that's what you do. Um the, the the issue Curry had was his ankle, and then obviously the slip and fall he tweaked the knee. Um, is there is it possible that the weakness of the ankle led to him from hurting the knee? Yeah, it's possible, but yeah,
0: overcompensating, the- absolutely.
1: Right. But he slipped, you know, he slipped on a wet spot, you know, and so what are you gonna do? I mean, it's that's some of it's just that's bad brutal.
0: Luck. That's yeah, I agree. Some of it is bad luck. There's no doubt, but you know, even somebody. Like Avery Bradley, you know, and you look at his hamstring, you know, there could be some bad luck for him, too. I mean, I do think there's something to the overcompensating, you know, but you're right. Slipping on a wet spot, you can't predict that stuff. And I do wonder, though, logging as many minutes as these players do throughout the season makes them more susceptible or vulnerable to you know, use injuries, you know, or overuse injuries. And that's, that's really my concern with Avery Bradley. Maybe, maybe you chalk it up with, with Steph Curry. It's like, it's just two freak scenarios and you can never predict it. But with Avery Bradley and the hammy, I, you know, that could be an overuse logging a lot of minutes, playing a lot of time, you know, and, and I don't know that necessarily you just rest people who seem to be 100% healthy down the stretch. You and I certainly weren't calling for them to say, Hey, let's take Avery Bradley and rest him Because he's probably one of the guys that we would have said, go ahead and let him play minutes, and let Jay Crowder get some rest, or let you know, let let, let Marcus Smart. You know, get some minutes uh, with Bradley and let Isaiah Thomas, you know, rest that wrist. Let's not risk him landing on that and injuring it. So you're right. It's again, back to the medicine is not an exact science. Neither is predicting injuries. But I will say this: I think the Celtics can win Game Seven without Avery Bradley on the floor. And I and I know you say throw everything at him, but if Avery Bradley isn't 90 plus percent, at least 85 plus percent, why risk it when you can get a couple of more days? you know, and make sure that that hammy is even less likely to get retweaked.
1: Yeah, I, you know, and and you're right. I mean, that you don't want to, I mean, it's all degrees of separation here, you know. Um, and, and I think that the bigger question would be, for me, would be the rust factor. How rusty is Bradley going to be having not played? Because you really can't do a whole. I mean, you can rehab, but you can't play basketball. Um, you know, and, and so what you're really talking about is, Who's going to lose minutes to what you're going to get from Avery Bradley? Too are you going to get eighty percent of Avery Bradley, but you're not going to get minutes to Terry Rozier, who I think has played really well. I mean,
0: no, obviously, I too. I'm so I said I said the same thing with Leary, yeah, uh, and I totally agree. I've been, I it's the composure, yeah, that I'm the most impressed with with Terry Rozier.
1: Absolutely, I mean, just. You know, and he's he's playing his game. You know, he's making a couple open shots, which is great. But he's moving quick. He's staying in front of guys. He's being a pest. Uh, You know, he's filling that role. I'm not saying that Avery Bradley role, but as the need for a smaller guard who can who can be quick, stay in front of a guy, and maybe exploit some things, be a re- plus rebounder, uh, maybe get out on the break, use his speed. I think, you know, <laughs> I think he's he's shown well. Um, If there's a, you know, I'm just going to very quickly say this. If there are trades that need to open up space, okay, and you need to include some of these guys, whether it's Bradley, whether it's Smart, whether it's Thomas, um, whether it's, you know, I I won't include Evan Turner in this, but, you know, I feel very good that that Terry Rozier is going to be able to be a player next year. I think he's going to be able to do things for this team next year. Will he be here? I don't I have no idea. But I feel good about where he's headed as a player.
0: Yeah, me too. I agree 100% with that and and just based on watching, like I've been saying and maybe not on this show, but I've said it to Larry and I've definitely put it on Twitter many times that I think Marcus Smart as a closer. And we we'll go back to that that conversation as well, but I think Avery Bradley's the guy that really could be the one you package and probably is the higher profile one because look at the defense he, he he plays on, on Dwayne Wade. He's got some highlight stuff. He's more experienced and Curry. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing I'm going to throw out there is why do you want him shaking his rust off in Game 7 against Atlanta? Wouldn't you rather he shake the rust off against you know early games on the road against Cleveland that you know Cleveland's going to win anyway? Look, Stevens has done some creative lineup changes, and it's working. I mean, I was super critical when we headed into Game 3. And I found I was really happy to see Evan Turner in the starting lineup. I was calling for it. But Jonas Jarebko in the starting lineup, I was not. I didn't want Marcus Smart coming out of the starting lineup. And there's a you know, when you look at who finished game four, it's pretty obvious why I wanted it that way. My lineup, my preferred lineup heading into game three, and this was based on lessons learned in game two that Jared Sullinger is worthless in this series and for all intents and purposes. And I could point to the two double doubles that Jonas. Jonas Derebkos put up and say, we're not missing uh, Sullinger's rebounding. That's mostly all he's giving this team right now. If you look at that, I wanted a lineup of Thomas, Smart, Turner, Crowder, and Johnson. And Johnson has had a hell of a series like we thought he might when we saw him pick up his play to finish out the season that to me was the starting lineup put your best players on the floor to start the game especially after we watch him get down so get down early so much but you know what Jerebko gets the call and the Celtics jump out to their first first quarter lead a pretty substantial one in game 3 and all the credit credit to Brad Stevens and a shout out to our most recent guest Ryan Bernadoni for absolutely you know Ryan for calling it and Brad for for being brave enough to do it.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. That, that was, that was pretty ballsy, a pretty ballsy move. I thought, you know, and, and because, you know, he's got the speed and he's got, you know, he's got a lot of things. The downside was, of course, is (laughs) the defense. And, and I think that we saw in Millsaps, you know, what do you have? 108 points, something like that. Uh, You know, obviously, you're going to give something up when you go that small and, and having a guy like Jerebko at the four, but it, I think you can, you can say for certain, you know, if you look at the plus minus, you look at some of the other metrics that that's, that's a win. That's a win for the Celtics in in terms of what it does for everybody else. Maybe you're going to lose that matchup, but you're going to win the others. And, uh, you know so yeah I agree I I thought he he played well I thought that uh even Sullinger by the fourth quarter was actually starting to to show a little bit of something um but but he has really not been But not on that.
0: Millsap yeah no, he's no, getting, no. and no. even Reggie Miller said in the third quarter of that game I don't know if you watched the TNT broadcast Thanks. but he said was is bringing you nothing right now Yeah Yeah that's Just kind of the way I feel about
1: like Reggie that. Miller's broadcasting career but <laughs> Fantastic. Sucks. Fantastic! I suck. He is the worst. Honestly, I would rather I would rather have anybody anybody be the broadcaster. I, Isaiah Thomas, bring him his terrible self out uh, to to broadcast. I mean, honest, it's ridiculous. It, it, he is so awful. I like Kevin Harlan. Kevin Harlan's good,
0: you yeah. know. Well the good news is you don't have to put up with them cuz you're back home. Exactly. Now that you're you're back in the New England uh, region you can watch CSN. I will not have that luxury. No. No and and I would also this is the moment
1: this is the 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 spot the spot of CSL where we brought to you by Sean Grady uh, <laughs> Grady and Max will say you know you know guys you can uh, listen to the broadcast the radio broadcast of the game if you so wish and we do It doesn't
0: line up that's the whole Not reason so. it's such a killer cuz I want to watch it Yep but you know what would be awesome is if the NBA app allowed you to watch the game on whichever broadcast you want to watch and then choose audio separately. But there's, I mean, that's just... See, that'd be too know. easy. That would, no, that would be way too difficult from a technology standpoint. I bet it would be impossible for them to line up audio, but yeah. that would be great. Like, no, if you had options
1: usually for the which video...
0: broadcasting team, that would be beautiful.
1: But usually the video feed is is delayed anyway from what's on broadcast. So... You know, if you're watching the broadcast on, say, TNT, I mean, everything's got different sync issues and whatever. But I think they could do it. I think it's possible.
0: I think it's possible. It would just be on know, NBA. Not easy. They should do it. Bring they it. Can't get NBA get to the
1: TV, TV on League Pass, but you know, maybe they can solve this one. Who knows? Bring it to
0: the people. Um, so I got to say this. So we talked about the lineup changes. Stevens went with the ballsy one, not my preferred one, not because I was down on Jerebko, but I just said. These are the five guys I think that are killing it. So yeah. let's play them and give them some chemistry. And at least for, you know, 28 minutes of the game, they'll all be together. Um, that's not what we saw. Jarebko did a nice job. However, it looked like Budenholzer had gotten his counterpunch that, you know, ha- really hadn't played well in the first three games. But, but in Millsap, just going off for what was it, t- 45 points total and 12 or 13 rebounds? Yeah just a disgusting performance Thought we had the total count. Thought he had the total counter punch to the Jerebko, and and believe me, Jerebko struggled. Everybody struggled, and the quote from Brad Stevens at the end of the game was, "We were going to throw everybody at him until we found something that worked." And guess what? It was Marcus Smart that worked. Maybe also Millsap ran out of gas. That's certainly a factor that needs to be considered. Uh, Kevin O'Connor had an awesome article on Celtics blog today about Marcus Smart and how he played with some video that just shows you how he bodied up on Paul Millsap, which was incredible. And I think you got to go read Jay King's recap as well, because Jay, Jay put up some, some really nice stuff and wordsmithed, um, just an awesome, awesome, um, description of Millsap. And I wish I had it right in front of me cause I'd, I'd read it, but, just was amazing description of how Millsap owned this game. It just seemed like he could do whatever he wanted, including play the part of the Kool-Aid man and just run through a brick wall and score the basket. I mean, this guy was 100% on fire, but Marcus Smart neutralized him. Six foot four, he's given up, I think, 20-something pounds and four inches But when Atlanta needed to go to him most, he was not available, and at least some credit has to go to Marcus Smart, and we've seen him do it against Kristaps Porzingis, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we've seen him with weird, weird mismatches, and then they go in his favor. The dude is a closer, folks. I mean, forget... Forget the baseline dunk and the two ensuing three-pointers for the eight straight points. You know, when everybody said he couldn't shoot three-pointers, the dude is clutch. He doesn't hit everything perfect. He's made some boneheaded plays, but he's 22 years old. John, you and I came to his rescue when the heat was coming on him for taking what was an ill-advised three-pointer, you know, in the latter third of the season, instead of making the pass to an open Isaiah Thomas, but at the end of the day, he's got to have those moments to learn, and he's clutch. He's a closer. I would not trade him, and, but it's the defense. Put all of that offense aside that's going to come along. You and I said be patient. Let's give him an off season to hone that part of his game, uh, just like he had the opportunity to improve his three-point shooting when they had the snow day in Philadelphia, and he put in the extra time to get that right, at least for a stretch. This dude is a closer, and it's really on the defensive end. The versatility—he is the Draymond Green in the NBA, but for the backcourt instead of the frontcourt. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, wow. That's
1: that that. <laughs> I just let that one sink in a little bit. Like, whoa, okay, hello.
0: I came up with it this morning, so there you go. Let it sink huh. in. Huh.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, I the versatility. Feel I, feel mean, you know, I mean, you know, Draymond is not. I mean. He's he's as much of a threat to a guard as as he is, um, as as smart is to a big. I yeah, I see it. I definitely do.
0: Because all they ever think about is oh yeah, we need the small center, the mobile, agile. You know, the new NBA, right. and it favors the smaller guys and quickness. And so that's what everybody talks about. But guess what? There's another side to that, and I think Marcus Smart might be the beginning of it.
1: Yep. The bigger guard who can who can get rebounds and 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 lock down the bigger player a little bit too. That's that's an interesting idea. Um, I, yeah. I, let let let's just let's jump on the uh, just to jump on on that. I mean, I look. <laughs> I heard on on two different occasions, and I'll, I'll name okay. So so Kyle Draper and and Michael Felger. All right, uh, in the post game show. So this is after what Smart did after what Smart did last night. Like, well, thank goodness that that finally Marcus has dropped that junk out of his game, that flopping stuff. You know what? I got I got to say this dropped
0: it in one game. Yeah. It was only game three where he had probably his most egregious flop of his career. Well,
1: that's what I'm saying. It was it was after that. This is after game four. I'm sorry. I should have been clear.
0: No, no, but I'm just saying they're saying one game corrects that. Like, well, he just had the biggest flop in game three, right. and they're saying, thank God he took it out of his game. It's one game. Well, it, it, not.
1: It, it, yes, yes, and here's the other piece. Who the hell cares what he does about flopping? Can we just? Can we give this up? Can we move on, people? I mean, holy cow. Vladivots probably made his whole career out of flopping for far worse things. I mean, I get it, all right? It's, you know, you're you're trying to— It's, it's a, unattractive. Have you seen James it's Harden It's unattractive. Play? Have these people ever watched James Harden play? James Harden acts like he was shot every time someone comes near him. Have you, Paul Pierce. We love Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce— was an actor of grand scale could have been on with the lights likes of DiCaprio and Hanks and, and oh, he could have been up for an Academy award, but for some reason, for some reason, this little bit of, of acting has caused the, the, the small minded idiots out there to think that somehow this invalidates everything else he does. It's, idiotic it is so stupid this is like this is the part of the nba and and the media that i hate oh we're gonna kill a guy because he went up and challenged a a guy trying to dunk at the rim no that's a good basketball play you try to stop guys oh he got killed he's dead
0: whoa you know what we all gotta grow up let's also be real that good defense is a great acting job every day of the week. Yeah. How do you think you get a call charging and blocking is one of the most ridiculously poor, uh, poorly officiated focal points for the NBA. Yep. If you want to, you never know how many times does an announcer say, Oh, well, I don't know. Uh, Looked like a charge. Looked like a block. Like (laughs) a great, if you're going to draw a block or draw a charging call, you're always ridiculously close to blocking. It's only the very rare time that your feet are set and the offensive player is so stupid that they think they might jump over you or they literally came off a screen and just weren't paying attention and ran into somebody. But, all of the other charges slash blocking calls there's a lot of gray area and if they wanted to get even more ridiculous with replays they could sit down and replay every single one of those calls on every possession it comes up which is probably what 30 35. Maybe well, it's maybe more lot. like twenty-five to thirty percent of the possessions it's they could lot. go to booth review. Yeah. It's it, it's a lot. It's impossible. It's a judgment call, and much of that judgment call is based on how well the player sells it. What is their cachet in the league? We nobody loves this, but it's a reality with the NBA that's probably not going to get fixed anytime soon without destroying the game the way instant replay destroyed baseball. That's
1: right. No, I no. You're right. It's a t- and, and as Sean Graney often reminds us is that you know look this is a really hard job these officials have. Uh, I will grant him that. Um, but you know you have to you have to bet you have to give credit to those who do it well, who take those inches, those half inches and and earn them and get them. For some reason Marcus Smart doesn't get that respect. He's not getting it from the officials. He's not getting it from the media. The only people who appreciate what he does are the people in that locker room and and a, a good healthy portion of the Celtics fans out there. For the rest of us, for the rest of these out there, these idiots that want to want to really kind of go at the guy. They need to just they need to stop. They got to stop, you know. It, this is they want it to be pretty and they want it to be a show and they want to talk about the stars and look this is the game if you don't like the game get out don't watch go (laughs) do something else okay (laughs) pick up crochet John don't
0: want you around here no more folks. It, i
1: don't go i get out of here you know i mean it's crazy man we've got we got marcus smart who's busted his guts out there playing his tail off really all series i mean really i, I would say game one was not a good one for him
0: for but... all the reasons that people like isaiah oh. thomas they should also like marcus smart and it's a double standard it that's is. your point incredible
1: double standard Incredible double standard, and I'm just—I'm tired of it. I all year we've heard this. You know
0: question. what it is? You know what it is, right? What the it's hair? The gold—it's the gold tip mohawk. Yep. It, you knew it. You knew it. Yep. And and it's not doing sully any favors either. I and I—that's total. I mean, that's what it is, man. And and I don't. I know that sounds so superficial, it's so simple, but I'm telling you, it's got a lot to do with it. The one thing I will say is, the flopping is unattractive. When you see it on replay, we've never liked it, and Larry, again, I'm going to keep talking about the Celtics beat interview, but that was the other thing that came up while Larry and I were talking on Sunday, and he said, I hate it, I hate it. He's definitely in the camp that you're arguing against, and the only thing I'll say about this whole topic, and I'm going to repeat it because I want your I want your final take on it, and then we're going to close on Marcus Smart because you and I have one other concept that we want to float out there should the Celtics win Game 7. But it's not a Marcus Smart problem. This is my point to Larry. It's not a Marcus Smart problem. It's an NBA problem. If the NBA doesn't want flopping, then they have to put in the rules and officiate it So that it gets eliminated so that there's penalties and they have to get it right. They have to, they have, but they can't let, like you said, James Harden gets away with it. And then Marcus Smart doesn't or whatever. And it's always going to be calls going the way of star power. That is never going to change. The NBA is never going to figure that out. They, and as a matter of fact, they don't want to. It's how they drive ratings. Stars get calls because people want them to succeed. And, and it's good. I'm not saying it's good for the basketball purist, but it's good for the business of basketball. And they're not going to stop doing it. However, the flopping side of things, if they really wanted to lock it down, they could get after it. It's not a Marcus Smart problem. It is an NBA problem. I
1: think that's. I think you're right, and you know we don't don't just go after the gold tip mohawk guy. You know we, we there was a little bit of hubbub on Twitter last week about you know well Boston's not going to get uh, this is, uh, uh, I mean El Hassan from ESPN went after. You know, well, it's a racial problem, and da da da. That's, you know, the racial problems in Boston will prevent them from getting free agents. The same old trope we've heard for years and years and years. That's
0: ridiculous. Birdman and all his tattoos garner just as much disrespect. Exactly. Marcus Smart's Mohawk. That's the silliest comment I've ever heard. It it is. You know, they're trying to leap off the Cam Newton ratings heading into the Super Bowl. They're just trying to take that that stupid ideology which only perseverates racism in America and milk it for every media dollar it's worth. It's disgusting. It's deplorable. And I'm sure there's 20 other adjectives I could use inappropriately on this show to describe (laughs) how disappointed I am when the media goes there like that. I'm not saying race isn't an issue in America, but I'm saying that using it in that's this right. fashion exactly. and and descri- that's disgusting that's that,
1: that's that's the issue and and you know and i and this isn't like you said this isn't an, this isn't about race this is about but but it's also it's about how perception is changing how people are viewing the team it's not what Marcus Smart is doing it's that their perception of the goal tip mohawk guy who flops around and all this. Well, you know, he also blocked Millsap at the rim. He also stripped Millsap. He also played amazing defense that allowed him to basically, I'm not going to say he he completely shut him down single-handedly. There is a team there. But Marcus changed the game. Marcus changed the, the face of that game last night. He's the reason they won that game. He was the closer, to take your term. He was the closer. So why don't we talk about what Marcus Smart has done? More win shares than any other player in his draft class. Any other? Oh, that was what was considered to be one of the best draft classes and, and it turned out to be. It hasn't been because of injuries and everything else, but you know, let's give this guy some credit for God's sake. Let's give him a he lot of credit. Entering, he is entering Rajon Rondo territory where it doesn't Here we go. Here we
0: go. Here's the meat of the conversation.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter what he does on the court. <laughs> Some people are going to find a way to go at him because they just don't like the way, the way he looks or, in the, in, the, in the case of Rondo, the way he talks. And because of those things, we're not going to worry about the triple-doubles. We're not going to worry about the fact that the guy is, is a defensive whiz, the likes that you know, may not be seen elsewhere in the league. He is the Kawhi Leonard of guards. And we're not even going to pay attention to that. We're just going to start, start wow, flop, 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 flop. Shut up. Go yeah. watch something else. Well, Go you know watch what? the Red one Sox thing, about the fifth outfielders splits against lady, <laughs> lefty and righty
0: matchups. You want to know why yeah. Marcus Smart is successful? Because Brad Stevens does the opposite of that. Right. Every one of his players on the team, he looks at the positive and he tries to put them in a position to succeed, and thus they know he has confidence in them and they perform better as a result. That's the magic. That's leadership, folks. And I understand the media doesn't have to have it, but they don't get it. That is one hundred percent a misstep on their part, you and I, I think, in the past, were you know <laughs> divided we stand and united we fell with, with the Rajan Rondo debate and his career you know at, in Boston. You and I never agreed one hundred percent on Rondo. I didn't hate Rondo, but I always said it in that tone. it's not that I hate Rondo it's just Mm, you know, there's a piece here I'm not comfortable with, you know, and we can, we can agree to disagree to this day on it, but on the Marcus smart one, you and I are 100% united. And he has a similar, uh, focus on him that Rondo had. And I think trading Rondo is the right thing to do. But I think to what, what Gorman has been telling us on every show, Marcus smart is the future, you know, and the more Marcus benefits From Brad Stevens and watching what a leader is really about, with all the intangible leadership qualities he already has, there's no doubt in my mind that Marcus Smart's going to become an amazing player in this league, and that Brad Stevens is just as much a part of it, as as Smart is, for being who he is as a person and as a player. But that tenacity, that effort, that never-die, and even in the waning minutes of a losing battle, he's still out there hustling. You just, there's some stuff you just can't teach, and he's got it. He's got the unteachables, folks, and you better get on the train because, John, you and I are not going to have Rajan Rondo-like debates about Marcus Smart. We might with other people and, you know, the talking heads that want to focus on flopping instead of, as you put it, all the good that he does on the floor. But let's end it with this. If the Celtics steal Game 7, on the road against Atlanta and they somehow go play Cleveland isn't Marcus Smart not only was he the the killer the beast against Paul Millsap down the stretch in game 4 but isn't he doesn't he have to be the secret weapon against LeBron is there anybody else that's big enough and strong enough and if you could have Marcus Smart on LeBron one on one and let LeBron get his but just slow him down so that the remaining four Boston Celtics defenders can shut everybody else down? Isn't that give you probably your best opportunity to beat Cleveland? And do you think Marcus Smart is up to the task?
1: Uh, I don't think so. I think LeBron James is too good. I, think I agree. Is... I'm
0: not saying you stop him. No. I'm saying you slow him enough to prevent having to throw so many doubles and make it easy for them to find the open man or open up lanes for Kyrie Irving.
1: I think no. I I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think Jay Crowder is the guy. I think he's the guy that predominantly gets gets the the call. But I also think that Marcus Smart is is against a guy like LeBron is strong enough and quick enough to keep him from getting to the basket. And that's that's LeBron's issue. That's LeBron's. That's his. That's where he makes his money. If you can make him a jump shooter, and we saw it. Going back to 2008, you create the shell and you make him take 19 to 23-foot jump shots and you live with that. And if they can do that in a series against LeBron, they can go far. The difference is he's got Kevin Love, he's got Kyrie Irving. You know, He's got a a better team around him, I think,
0: this time around. What if they ran a... There probably is an appropriate term for this. Maybe it's even the triangle. But what if they ran a... Zone type of double double coverage double team where smart bodies LeBron up on the perimeter and then Jay cleans him up on the penetration. So it's a it's yeah. a double team, but if they're not up on LeBron together and then they just need to be ready to switch when LeBron gets by smart smart has to switch to maybe the man that's in the corner that's going to knock down the jumper you know and if it's a weak side scenario you know what I mean then 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 they do that and That's when smart shifts to the open man. You know what I mean? Like I'm trying, I'm just thinking there's, there's gotta be a creative way so that LeBron's gotta go through two walls and it just starts to wear him down. Cause that's the best way to get in LeBron's head. I think is to just, you know, work him, work him, work him, work him and make him go to his teammates. But usually when he finds his teammates are wide open, there's gotta be a strategy here where they split time and sort of a double team, but it's more of a zone type of setup.
1: Is there yeah. a system
0: for that that I'm not aware of?
1: Well, I I don't know. I mean, I think I think I think you're kind of headed down the path though, which is that 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 that's you're zoning up basically to stop him. I mean, you saw that in the game, the the Cleveland game um, where you know Bradley hits the shot. They were ahead. They give up LeBron. LeBron just kind of drives the basket. Will like I think there were like three or four straight drives where he just knifed through everybody. That's the type of thing you can't have. If you can make him have to kick to the corners and put Iman Shumpert and put J.R. Smith in the roles of having to beat the Celtics, that's where I think that's where you want to live. You don't want it to be LeBron driving to the basket, all two hundred seventy pounds of him coming on like a freight train, and you know he's going to get the the call. You know it. You you know you might as well just make the call now. Um, So just. (laughs) <laughs> set up the wall so he physically cannot get through. Has to kick to the corner and forces his teammates to uh, to beat you. I think that's the only way you beat the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, but the Celtics have got to be able to stop the penetration. And, and you're right; it's sending waves to guys. It's it's having smart start out on him and then switching it up. And you know he may end up switching up so that way he's going in the post. But I, again, if you're slowing them down. um, you know you're taking you're making it a an isolation game, and you're ta- in effect what you're doing is you're taking Kyrie out of it and you're taking Kevin Love out of it, which is basically half the battle. If you if you make it you against LeBron, at least you got maybe a, a puncher's chance. Um, and maybe not even that much, but I think well, I think you're right. Though. I think you're on the right line though. I think smart. What we saw against Millsap is, is a, maybe a good tease as to what they could do here in the next series. I think that might be one of those in-game adjustments though. you bring in. You don't start out on him, but you, but you go there when the game is, is at its peak.
0: Well, it'll be interesting and hopefully we'll have a chance to pick up this discussion um, for our show next Monday because we are looking a little bit past the Hawks and the Celtics still have to be able to take this series and it's going to take most likely a game six and seven Seven victory on the road in Atlanta to at Phillips Arena to be able to close this out so that we can continue this discussion. So we'll see. It's a good thing we didn't have a guest this week, John, because quite frankly there wasn't enough room in this show for anybody but you and me. Just a Fantastic show. And just a reminder to everybody: CLNS Radio's post-game show after game seven, if necessary, but I'm telling you right now, it's going to be necessary. You can just feel it in your bones. Next Saturday night, Nick Gelso, founder of CLNS Radio, will be hosting with myself for that Game 7 post-game wrap-up, and then you can look for John and I back on Monday. And hopefully what we're going to be talking about is a preview to the matchup against Cleveland and continuing the discussion that we just had to close out this show um, so that we can watch more Celtics basketball heading into May. That's the fingers crossed we're hoping for it, John. And you and I kind of pointed at the fences, so we'll see. Atlanta... Very tough opponent. A lot of different looks. There's going to need to be a few more adjustments in this series. It'll be interesting to see how it all closes out and plays out. But um, you know, everybody can just cut the crap with Marcus Smart. Let's acknowledge him for the player he is, and let's hopefully watch him carry this team forward into a series against Cleveland. Yeah.
1: No, I I, I think you're right. I think we we're gonna we're gonna see a, a situation now with with Smart. Um, that I think you're going to see better things ahead. And hopefully, hopefully, Solis can can come on here in the next two games, uh, or two of the next three at least, and show what we saw in Boston, which was... I think the type of effort that we've been more accustomed to, um, and I think I think they're going to be able to steal one of them in Cleveland. Or excuse me, in Atlanta. I, I really do. I feel good about where this team is. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be. I thought this was going to be an easier series than it has been. Um, injuries to Bradley and Linux have really limited them, but I st- I feel good about where they are right now. I feel like they can they can get to a three, and then they're not disappointed, right? Right, Justin. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Hopefully the Celtics get healthier and continue to progress in their play against Atlanta, and close out the series, and we're going to be back either way next Monday. We are lining up some guests. Most likely the show is going to go 90 minutes next week because we're going to have a lot to talk about with round one in the books for the good or the bad. So we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody, and enjoy games five, six, and seven. And don't forget, CLNS Radio's postgame show, After Game 7 Saturday night with myself and Nick Gelso. John, see you next week, my see, man. See you next week, man.
1: Celtics stuff live.